Now we are continuing our series we're calling Heroes of Faith, and each time that I'm going to get to share, um, we're going to take a look at the early portion of Moses' life. I was able to share kind of about two weeks ago, and if we weren't, if you weren't here with us, you could definitely check that out online. But we're going to continue with the early portion of his life. And here's the, here's the thing I've I've come to understand about the scriptures that I really appreciate is that. The more over the years, the more we investigate the different people, the characters, the, the people that are elevated as heroes of the faith, the more we start to discover how imperfect they are. And I don't know about you, but for me, that ends up giving me great comfort. And you might think, wow, their flaws give you comfort. That's a little twisted. And hear, hear me out. Because what I've discovered and what we discover as we explore the scriptures is that what their flaws and their weaknesses and their contradictions um, really illuminate is just how gracious God is with those who are open to him, with those who long to activate their lives with him. He is extremely patient. He is extremely generous in mercy and in love. He's slow to anger. He does not snuff out, Jesus says, of uh, a, a, a withering flame. He doesn't break a bruised reed. Uh, he is incredible with us. And, um, you know, what we also start to discover is that um, when we get a sense of what God might be asking us to do, of an assignment or a task, we, we tend to be people of um, pursuing it with efficiency as the number one priority. We think speed is the best way. And what we come to discover is that actually God's timing is, well, it's, it's radically different. Uh, you may have noticed we're calling this message right call, wrong time. It could also be said wrong time, wrong method. But a lot of times we, 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 we behave this way, don't we? When we get an impulse or something, especially if we have a conviction that it is right, we think, well, clearly then the time is now to act on it. And it could get a little confusing. I remember when I was, and I, I know I've shared this before, but I remember when I was young and I had first kind of just started coming to a place of faith with Jesus. And I was starting to explore his scriptures, the gospels primarily. And I remember I was around 16, 17 years old. I was... Um, going to a community college locally here in the Bay Area, and I was reading through the Gospels, and there were these moments in the Gospels that just captured my imagination. And I, I don't know if you've ever had that, but moments where, for example, there, there would be a moment where Jesus would come up to the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he would say two words. He would say, follow me. And on those two words, these grown men, these sailors, these, these fishermen would drop their nets and they would just follow him. And I thought, man, like Jesus spoke, God spoke, God called, and they just like, they moved on it. And I remember just thinking what it must have been like. There is no explanation. There's no like, and here's what we're going to do. No, it was like, just he would come up and he would say, follow me. And I remember thinking to myself, just in my youth, man, music must have just started, you know, angels started like, thundering the clouds. I mean, this is, this is the moment in the movie where everything gets silent, slow motion begins, right? Follow me, right? And those words are deposited within these men and they're like, yes. They drop their nets and they 
Peter, where are you going? You, what, what are you doing? I'm following him, you know? <laughs> like that, that's how it played out in my mind. And I remember thinking, man, and I, I, I'm, at the time, I remember being just impacted by this desire to, to, to give my life to God and to want to do something that I thought was way more meaningful than, than the coursework I was taking at community college and just moved my soul. And so I remember just kind of feeling like, man, that's me. Jesus, you're talking to me. You're asking me to follow you. So I thought, man, I got to drop my nets. And so I was at the time going to one of the classes here and I was, uh, you know, we had Bible intensives, we have next step things, and one of the teachers had given me their number, and we were just talking, and it was in the middle of the day, and I was sitting in the library at school, having a tough time wanting to get motivated for my schoolwork, and I was reading this, and it's just like, man, it just hit me, like, follow me, oh, man. So I called him, I figured, okay, I'm, I'm going to drop my nets, I'm going to do this, but I might as well double check, you know, because I've definitely felt Okay, God's asking me. So I called him and I said, hey, um, can, I, can we connect? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was, I guess I sounded a little fleshered. He goes, let me call you back a little bit. And he calls me back and he goes, what's going on? You okay? You all right? I said, yeah, I'm dropping out of school. <laughs> and he goes, what? I said, well, you know, I, I think God's asking me to give him my life. And man, I, I, don't, I don't have time for this. Like, he wants me to tell others about him, and I have a lot of friends that need to know about him. I mean, the thing is, I was sincere. And you're thinking, why is he the one up on stage? I don't know that's a good idea, you know? Um, that seems a little out there. But I, the truth is, I was sincere in it. And so I was just like, man, I need, to, I, I need more time to do what I think God's asking me to do. I need to drop my nets and go. And he just sat there and on the phone, and I could hear just silence, you know? Like when Jesus said, follow me, they dropped their nets, right? My nets are my schooling, so I need to like uh, walk away from that and do what he's asking of me, right? And I'm just more just letting you know, not really checking in. Um, and he ended up having a conversation with me that each word that came out of his mouth, it was like, you know, um, it tempered my zeal, Right? Because I, he started to explain some things that I still find myself having to learn. Because, listen, just because God is asking you, it doesn't mean this is the right way. It doesn't mean this is the right time. And that's not how exactly this always works. And I remember thinking, man, and it, listen, that was in the late 90s, you know, early 2000s. If, to, if that was the case back then, you, you, do we understand the cultural pressure we're under? where speed has become a commodity, where delay of any kind is seen as uh, worse than second class, when we become somewhat in, uh, awakened in our soul for something, um, I don't think I'm alone, but when we, we desire it now, like now. And you know, that's not too different from Moses' early life. In fact, um, we, we explored his early life a little bit. He was, he was adopted uh, into the courts of Pharaoh. He was born in a very troublesome time in Israel's history. But I asked him to put this up there because this, this is coming out of um, Acts 7. Versus, this is verse 22. It's, we're told that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. He was, um, 
He was well-learned, and he was also proven militarily. That's what that's telling us. That's what the historians have come to understand, that any member of the royal court had to be proven in his ability to be strategic militarily, and Moses had done that. He was, he was brought up in the scholastic system of Egypt when it was at the height of the intellectual class in the world. He had been trained in the best schools the world had to offer. He was well-learned. We know he was also good with letters, good with writing, because the first five books of the scriptures are attributed to him as the author. And so he had uh, training, he had intellectual capacity, and he had physical might. He had the ability to be strategic. This is what we're told. And if you open your handout, we'll just continue with this passage. Stephen is the one, by the way, who is known as the church's first martyr and he's telling us about the early years of Moses and he says in verse 23 when he was 40 years old it came into his heart to visit his brothers when told that the children of Israel were his brothers and seeing one of them being wronged he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian um what Stephen is actually highlighting here he by the way he is so succinct with his words I mean 40 years he captures with one sentence. But he says, Moses, he doesn't tell us how he was feeling. He doesn't tell us what was going on within Moses. But what we do know is that Moses had been raised within a foreign home in the very house of Pharaoh who had ordered his demise, something we explored in depth a couple weeks ago. Always knowing that his people, his ethnic people, were at the very least oppressed, at the worst enslaved. And it came into Moses' heart to want to go see how his people were doing. This is what we're told. At the age of 40, he had come of age. And he decided to go venture out. And Stephen says that when he went out, he saw one man oppressing the other, wronging the other. The man that was wronging the other was an Egyptian man oppressing a Hebrew man. Two very different people groups. And Moses ends up intervening. We, we again, we don't know what occurred, but what we do know is this. It's almost as if Moses felt that the injustice he had been accustomed to seeing was too much to bear now. And for whatever reason, this became the moment he decided he was going to act. And what does it say? It says that he ends up defending the oppressed man and he avenged by striking the Egyptian. It's Stephen's way of saying he put him down. And here's the thing about it. Is that in this, we're told in verse 25 that he, being Moses, supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. So Moses had come to the conclusion that he realized his people needed freedom. And he had come to the conclusion that he was the man to provide it. That his assignment was to provide freedom for his people. And here's the deal. We know he was right. Oh, he was, he was very right. It just, this is why. This is the right call. 
wrong time, and certainly wrong method. And it ends up coming to light when he's, the very next day we're told in verse 26 that on the following day he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them saying, men, you are brothers, why do you wrong each other? He was, two Hebrew men were quarreling, they were fighting, they were, they were um, in a, a heated argument, if you will, and he tries to intervene. He goes, guys, 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 why are you, why are you doing, don't you know you're of the same, you're of the same clan, same people. Don't do this. Verse 27, the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, pushed him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptians yesterday? Is that the way? Is that your justice? Is that what you're going to do here? Is this your way of correcting it? You're going to, um, you're going to kill me just like you did that man? You think nobody noticed, huh? At that word, we're told in verse 29 that at this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian where he became the father of two sons. Again, Stephen capturing an enormous amount of time in Moses' life with just one sentence. But what we know is that um, Moses had assumed that because this was what he had come to the conclusion, God is asking me to be the liberator of my people. He had the power, he had the, the wherewithal, he had the knowledge, he had the skill. That This was the time to act. And some would say, in his anger, he behaved, he acted. And what ended up happening is actually the exact reverse. What he thought was the beginning of his ascent, it was the bottom of his failure. And we don't know what type of mentality he ran out of Egypt to Midian, a nearby land outside of Egypt. But what we do know is that he most likely ran, and ran he did. Ran with disappointment, ran with misunderstanding, ran with pain, confusion. Uh, most likely ran with his any hope of his dreams, any hope of fulfilling what he sensed God had asked him to do. We know this because 40 years later, God would have to convince him, kicking and screaming, that actually this was his assignment. We know he had concluded, he came to the conclusion, any hopes he had of doing what he sensed he was supposed to, uh, they were shattered. Gone. Gone. And by his own pen, we get a little bit fuller picture of what this must have been like for Moses. He, he writes his own account. If Stephen swaths over things, minor details, Moses makes sure they are not forgotten. And I find this fascinating. And I thought it would be good for us to just read through this in Exodus 2. We're told that one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew one of his people. And he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. See, it's almost as if Moses, Stephen is trying to, oh, you know, oh, like just, you know, cover things up a little bit, sanitize. Moses says, no, 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 let's not make any mistake. Uh, this was the, the most terrible thing. Th there is no voice of condoning this. 
There's nothing but a sense of, even in the way he's, he looked everywhere. He did it. And he hid it. Hoping no one would notice. Moses is essentially saying, oh, this is my past. I don't want to hide it. This is it. He says, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? There was a fight physically. He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Which is exactly what Stephen said. And do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid. Immediately at that moment, he was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. It's almost as if that man was saying to him, Moses, you think because you, think you hid him, nobody is aware? Everyone knows. Everyone. Is that what you're going to do to me? And immediately Moses almost realized the nature, the, the reality of his failing, the reality of what he had committed. And all of a sudden, it, I mean, imagine something like that being exposed, the sense of being petrified and afraid, paralyzed. And what does he do? He comes to the conclusion that everyone knows in verse 15, Pharaoh heard of it. He sought to kill Moses. And now Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat by a well. No uncertain terms. Did he sat, sit by that well dejected? Did he sit by that well completely disappointed? Uh, filled with anxiety? And I, you know, I just, I think of this and certainly uh, many of us, most of us, we cannot identify with the degree, the gravity, the intensity of what Moses did, but we can certainly identify with what it might be like to sit in Midian at a well. Having been convinced this was the right thing to do, this, was the, this is what I'm supposed to step into, and all of a sudden, frustration, disappointment, misunderstandings, things don't pan out quite the way we would want. To be at the well, to be at the well would be exactly what Moses thought it was. It was mm, no more. This is the end. And we know Moses, Moses ends up going from the royal courts of Pharaoh with having tremendous wealth, power, acumen, influence. All of that is set aside. And all of a sudden he goes to this land where you know what he becomes? He becomes a, a shepherd. And 40 years later, what we know is, here's the deal. If that, was, if that well in Midian was the end of the story, well, that would be nothing but a tragedy. And an extremely sad story. But it seems as though Moses, uh, God wasn't done with him. And we know 40 years down the line, you know, Moses ends up Becoming the man he always thought he was supposed to be. He ends up being the, the man who indeed delivers his people. He ends up becoming the instrument God uses to set his captive people free. He ends up being the patriarch of the birthing of a nation. He ends up moving into a place of such a sense that they end up defining, identifying Moses as the prophet. The prophet whom they said, if anyone ever looks like him, well, then that man will be called Messiah. That man will be called Messiah. So high was Moses' ascent from this bottom of the barrel place that his shadow stretched all the way to the very feet of Jesus. 
And Jesus stepped onto the scene being the true deliverer. And Moses becomes the author of the most significant literature in history. It truly is impacted worldwide. It is felt. He ended up fulfilling a tremendously high calling. But if that was the case, well, we know this. There was a time in Moses' life when it all seemed lost. It all seemed gone. And um, there was a time when he indeed had the right call. He exercised the wrong method in the wrong time. And, you know, I was thinking of this because there's much for us to glean here. Much for us to unpack and to consider for our own lives, wherever we might be. And firstly, what does this teach us? What does this remind us of? It, it shows us that our faith, our faith will challenge us to discern our assignment from the Lord. It will. And this is something Moses had wrestled with. He had come to a place of discerning, of, of clarifying what the assignment was. And when we, call it, when we speak of assignment, we speak of this word calling. This, this word calling is oftentimes it refers to this idea of having a purpose, of having a, a, a degree of stewardship over our lives. And it, it reflects the understanding that we have been created on purpose, for a purpose to fulfill, that we uniquely are meant to step into. And, and here's the deal. A lot of times we might think, you know, this might be only for those, because here's the reality of the matter, and just kind of set some, some givens aside. Anytime, if, if we ever come to a point of embracing Jesus as the one we call Messiah, our Savior, well, all of a sudden, the scriptures say, anyone who calls on his name in that way, they are called or they are assigned to be an active participant of their local church community. That's like a general given. That all of a sudden, we are, we are invited, in, indeed encouraged, to, to serve and give of our time and our energy to the local expression of his body, wherever we call home. That, that, so none of us are immune from that. But then, but then we go a step further and we say, you know, but some of us, some of us, we get to do that. We get to do that uh, for a living, right? And that's the minority of us. Most of us, that's not the case. And many of you say, what do you do during the week? Well, we, that's a different conversation, but there's much to do. And many of us, we get to do that for a living. And then we think, you know, but, but then, so if that's the case, well, calling or assignment, it's for the professional Christians, Right? Like the ones, they always have to smile. They're, they're always nice and kind. Like they, you want prayer at any time, you get it. Like they're the ones, right? And, and the scriptures, I say, no, 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 We all have an assignment. Like we all have something that God has created us to fulfill. And so our faith will challenge us to discern, what is that? What does that look like? What was I created for? Um, Tim Keller, who is a pastor and author in the East Coast in New York, he wrote an article that I found very helpful, and I thought I'd just kind of, kind of illuminate a little bit of what he was saying. He's saying, you know what, we find our assignment when we find the intersection of three different factors, our affinity, ability, and opportunity. That when we discover a place, and so the question we might want to ask is, where do we have an affinity with a need that exists in the world? 
Where is there a place in our world, whether it be in our community, in our church community, or whether it be in our workplace or in our home, in our neighborhood, wherever it might be in our family, where do we see a need that our heart feels burdened? It feels, it resonates with it. That gives us a clue as to what our assignment is. We see this, by the way, in the profile we just saw. Jay, you could see, our, he has a tremendous affinity towards the childlike heart. And look at what, the intersection of that. Oh, it's something comes alive, right? And so if we ask, where do we have an affinity with a need that exists in the world? And then we ask, what ability, skills, or talents do we have do we possess that meets those needs? Where is it that at what we have in our possession is able to step into that need? See, Moses ended up stepping into becoming the leader of a nation. But he had uniquely been prepared for such. He had been trained in the highest scholastic systems of the world for his day. He had been trained strategically, militarily. He had understood things. He, he, he was learned in a variety of different disciplines. And so he was able, what, what are the abilities and talents and skills? And let us never diminish what we are able to contribute to a need. For we know God never does. And no ability to step into it is too small. So if we ask, what, is, what are the abilities, skills, and talents that we, have, we possess to meet that need? Then, then we start to ask, you know what, what, what opportunities do I have in my own sphere of influence to do that? we start to penetrate a little deeply into these three questions. Where does my heart resonate? What abilities do I have to contribute? And what opportunities do I have? The intersection of those three, well, that ends up awakening our soul. And we start to be able to define, you, you know what happens? Our faith becomes vibrant. And our relationship with God becomes a little bit beyond our own world. And we start to see that our lives directly impact those around us. And that, well, that leads to life living on the edge of our seat. Fully awake. Wanting to step in. Grateful for the, God, thank you. Thank you. I get to do this. See, if that's the case, what do we also see? We also see that um, we may discern our, our assignment, our calling, if you will, but timing and method are just as important as the assignment we are given. Uh, timing and method, are, they're just as important. This, this is what we see here, right? We see the reality that in his anger, in his passion, he was derailed. Uh, timing, timing is one of those crucial things. You know, um, if, we can, if we can put it this way, we start to ask the question, when do you want me to act? Timing is incredibly important. I, I, I know, you know where this shows up the most? It shows up relationally. Where we might have an idea of what needs to happen and what needs to be discussed or what needs to be addressed, but timing, and I say this, I say this, <laughs> Uh, have, still in the process of learning timing because it's in the closest relationships where I have discovered this the most. Uh, I speak of my marriage and there have been moments, perhaps more often than I'd like, where I may be right, which I think I mostly am, <laughs> 
But because I didn't step into it at the right time, I'm wrong. And certainly, if that's the case, if the timing is like way off and the conversation no longer is about what I thought it needed to be, now it becomes about timing. <laughs> then wrong method certainly undermines definitely the right call. You know what this requires of us? It requires of us to learn how to wait on God. See, this is far more art than science. And that psalm we opened up with, Psalm 27, you know how it ends? It, it, it opens up declaring these things. David is finding himself in the midst of uncertainty. He doesn't know what's going on around him. He feels threatened. And at the end, you know where he ends his psalm, in Psalm 27, of reassurance, of coming into the house of God, being inquiring of him, being risen up to a place of stability? You know what he says? This is, I asked him to put this up there. He says, he's, he makes his charge. Wait for the Lord. Be strong in your waiting. And let your heart take courage. And then he says it again. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. There might be times in our lives where we sense something is supposed to. We're, we're supposed to move into it. We might see it. It's a frustration. Or it's something we're witnessing and it's just getting to a point where we just don't know what to do. You know what David says? Okay, yeah, in that, wait on him. Don't take it into your own hands. Wait on him. Because if it asks us to wait, it also questions the method. The, the method seems to be equally important, if not more. See, what do we see? We see justice in the hands of Moses becomes injustice. It becomes an act of vengeance filled with anger and passion and pain. And so we start to ask the question, if, if it's not our method, you know what it causes us to do? Well, God, what is your method? And you know what we see? Justice in the hands of God, you know what it is? Justice in the hands of God looks like the most loving act ever done in human history. Because justice looks like all of that, what is wrong and all that needs to be penalized and all that requires justice is laid on the shoulders of the one who is more innocent, more pure, more holy than any other that has ever walked among us. And God lays on him at the cross, Jesus giving his life sacrificially. That is the picture of God's justice. And anyone who would call on his name, anyone who comes to him, you know what he receives? Not the just rewards, but mercy and grace and forgiveness flowing from his heart to ours. And that translates, you know what that translates? It translates into our own lives being able to extend the forgiveness that we have received. His methods for stepping into something and addressing something, they're radically different. And they're far more life-giving. Far more life-giving. Because what Moses also reminds us of is that um, if we ever get to a place where we start to wonder why things are being delayed, sometimes the delay of God's timing leads to the formation of our character. I say sometimes 
because it's our choice. And Moses had to decide how he was going to embrace the next four decades. He didn't know it. He thought it was the rest of his life. But he ends up moving from a place of extraordinary power and height to a place of uh, he's taking care of sheep. Animals that are defenseless, extremely hard to, to shepherd. They go their own way constantly, get stuck into things, are needy, cry a lot. It's there. Moses ends up being formed. You know, Moses didn't lack skill. He didn't lack ability. He didn't lack know-how. He had it all. It seems as though God said, you, don't, you, you, lack, you lack character. And that is what was formed. Later, when Moses steps back in, he, wouldn't, he didn't even know it was even a possibility. But when he steps back in, you know what God said about Moses? There is not a man more humble than he. Such depth was created within this man. Such depth can be created within us. When he is allowed to chisel us, move on us, mold us and shape us. And so the question then becomes, Lord, what are you forming in me in this delay? Because one thing we can be assured of, Delay with God. It's not denial. It's formation. Delay is not denial. It's formation. And when we get to the place of saying, okay, I, I want what you want. I, I surrender. Uh, do what you want to do with me. Uh, form my inner man. Form my ability to be slow to anger, to be patient, to be loving, to be kind, to be gentle, to be long-suffering, to endure. When we get to that place, I want what you want. We position ourselves to be the hero he is calling us to be. In a moment, Van's going to come back and we're going to share in a closing song and have our time of giving, but I'd love to just pray, ask for his blessing. Lord, we thank you that you are, you are the author of what is deposited within our soul that reflects your beauty, that reflects your passion, that reflects all that is good in your heart. And I thank you because that means that um, you're the one who ensures its fruition, it's coming to pass. We pray that you would help us, God. Wait on you. We pray that you would help us discern our assignment. We pray that you would help us learn your methods. And we pray, God, that you would form us. You would, you would form us into men and women who are able to live a heroic faith. We ask for this, God. We ask for your blessing. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.